Good morning. Uh, the first chapter of Amos, uh, verses 1 and 2. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, in the top of Carmel withers. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here. Um, before we dive in, if it's your first time here, I would absolutely love to meet you. I'll be out there at the Welcome Center after service. We've got a lot going on in the life of our church, but more than anything, we just want you to know that you've been seen and that you have been loved today. Um, just to catch you up where we're going, we've been in a series for the Minor Prophets. And what's cool is being a part of this Grace family of churches is um, all the other Grace churches are studying the Minor Prophets as well. So it's really, really cool when we see letters in the New Testament. There was one letter that circulated to a bunch of churches, a family of churches. And so we've been walking through that. Starting next week, we'll kind of press pause a little bit on the Minor Prophets. And we're going to do a couple weeks on a series entitled, This Is My Story. And the purpose of this is to understand how God is writing a story. But God is not writing a story just in general, so to speak. God is writing your story and how your story can inspire other stories and people as well. So I'm super excited um, about that and what God has in store for us. Um, we're in this series, and I want to do just a little bit of review, and this will be the last week that we'll sort of recap. If it's your first time here, the minor prophets are often a neglected area in our Bible. Um, some of the pages might have been stuck together in your Bible. It's a place that we don't always frequent that much. But just to give you a little bit of context, um, they are called the minor prophets. There's 12, and it's the last 12 books in the Old Testament. So before you get to the New Testament, the last 12 books are what's considered the minor prophets. They're called minor not because they are less important. Basically, it's just because the length of their books. Um, there are also what's called the major prophets, like um, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. These guys are called major because their books are crazy long, like 37 chapters long. Isaiah is like 60-something chapters long. These guys that we're studying, their message is succinct. And what's interesting is, is they address the political, moral, and religious corruption that's happening in Israel's day. Just a little bit of history. Israel, during the days of the minor prophets, dealt with basically what we would call a civil war. And just like today, how we have North Carolina, South Carolina, and um, our country is still affected from that great war today, Israel split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And so these prophets are either in the north or they're in the south. And what they are doing is they are speaking truth to power. Israel during these times became very financially prosperous 
And what ends up happening is because they are financially prosperous and they've been winning these wars and doing things, they begin to stray. And kings who don't love God are beginning to rule. And so anytime God wanted to speak to his people, he raised up a prophet. And we've been using this definition of a prophet. A prophet was the Old Testament office of both foretelling and foretelling the word of God. Now, when we think of a prophet, oftentimes we think of like the magic eight ball or a crystal ball, and we think of Ooh, all of these future prophecies. And, and yes, the prophets did do that sometimes. And, and most of the time, when they would give these predictions of the future, it was about when the Messiah, God himself, as we know Jesus, was coming to the earth. But it wasn't just foretelling the future. They were foretellers of truth. Thus saith the Lord. That was the prophet's job. Even if it was in front of kings... We even have these scenes in the Old Testament where a king would gather like three to four hundred prophets and say, um, tell me if I should go into battle. And all of these prophets were bought off with money and they would all say, oh yeah, king, you're awesome, you're great, go into battle, you'll win. And then God would have his prophet there and his prophet would go, eh, eh. It ain't going to happen, buddy, okay? You have strayed from God if you go into battle. They forth told the truth. That was the job of a prophet. And really, even with 12 prophets, you could summarize each prophet's message into really three key points. The first one is this, return to God. Return to God. The people of Israel would... Con hey, listen. Does this story sound familiar? Um, they would have a crisis. They would need God. And they would go, God, we need you. God would bail them out. And then they would go, man, times are good. Money in the bank. We're doing well. And they would stray away from God. And God would be like, hey, you're straying away. And they'd be like, we're not straying away. And God would be like, you're straying away. They're like, no, we're fine. We're not straying. God's like, no, you're straying. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, no we're straying away right and then there would be a crisis and they would need bailed out again and then the prophet would say return to does that sound familiar to anybody right you're like oh that was Tuesday that was um, Tuesday for me this week actually the primary message for the prophet was to return to God the second one was this remember God's covenant God made a covenant with a guy named Abram then he changed his name to Abraham and he said from you I will make a nation and what's incredible is anytime the prophet said return to God, it wasn't just return to God because you're bad, 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 wrong, 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 sin, 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 or anything like that. It was, why are you doing these things? Why are you straying away from a ever-loving God? It was always return to the faithful God who loves you. And then the last thing was this, how do we return to God? And it's always by repenting of sin. I mean, literally every prophet plagiarized the prophet that went before them and they all preached and stole their sermons and said the same stuff. And it was this, it was repent of sin. Now, when I say the word repent, you have an image in your mind and it's like bad, 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 wrong, this, that, and the other. 
But really the definition of the word repent means to turn the other direction. So repentance is I am straying away from God. My life is headed in a certain direction. I am the captain of my ship. I will not bow my head or bow my knee. I'm going this way. And then most of the time our testimony is my life was going well. And then a boulder was dropped on me and my knees and the props were knocked out from underneath me. Nobody's message is ever, man, I was going along, money in the bank, everything was well, I was super healthy, everything was great, and I woke up one day and thought, you know what, I'm going to surrender my life to God, right? It's always, I encountered something that was much bigger than me, and I realized I can't do it on my own. And then it is an about face. It is not going down that path anymore and choosing to then follow Jesus wherever he is leading us. That is the message of the prophets. And today, we are studying the book of Amos. And now what's interesting about this is, last week, if you were here, we studied the book of Hosea. And it is, I mean, you just got to go read it. It is incredible. It is literally the most beautiful love story that you have ever heard. And it's not like some cheesy love story. God told his faithful prophet to go marry a faithless prostitute. And Hosea was like, I'm sorry, come again? You want me to marry who? And God was like, yep. And the reason why is because this is a real life picture of my relationship with Israel, that I am the faithful spouse and they keep betraying me and wandering off. And it was just this beautiful, beautiful love letter. <laughs> and then we get into Amos this week. Did you hear verse 2? Literally, the, look at your Bible. And when we get this introduction, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which saw uh, concerning Israel in the day of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Then here it is, verse 2. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion. Like, <laughs> So last week, we go from this beautiful love story um, that God is this faithful spouse who woos and does all of this to this week, God is like a lion who is roaring. It's incredible. I love what one commentator said. He says these words. There is a cold logic in the book of Amos that is altogether missing in the book of Hosea. Hosea spoke the language of love. Amos speaks the language of law. Hosea spoke from the heart, and Amos speaks from the head. Hosea thought in terms of God's outreach, but Amos thinks in terms of God's outrage. Hosea expressed fervor and fire. Amos states causes and conclusions. You see, listen, here's what I love about preaching through books of the Bible and seeing a variety like this. 
Oftentimes, if you and I are not stretched in our Bible reading and the Bible teaching, we will always treat the Bible sort of like um, our Spotify playlist, if you will. We will always go to the greatest hits and we'll wander and find ourselves in the Psalms or this, that, or the other, and we will remain there. And now, now please listen to me. It is beautiful and good and right to have places in your Bible where those pages are worn out that you love going to and being there. But the reality is, is that we need the full, well, um, The Apostle Paul used this phrase in the book of Acts when he is leaving Ephesus. And he's been there for a number of years teaching them. And he says these words, Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. He's saying, listen, I've been here for a number of years and I have done my job. Then he says this, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Of God. Or some translations say the full counsel of God. And did you know that that as the pastor here, that that is my primary charge, is, is to teach us the full counsel of God. Parents, um, you know this with your children, that if you were to allow your children to dictate the menu at your house for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you would be eating bluebell ice cream at 7 a.m. in the morning, right? And I really don't understand why that's a bad deal. But anyway, right? Um, they would want only what they love in their diet. But, but here's what I want to say, just even as introductory to understand this. That Christians grow in maturity from the variety that the Bible offers. And this is a challenge for us. And so we're sort of shifting gears. But the thread that keeps us attached that we're following is that we are understanding the full counsel of God in this. So Amos... What do we need to learn about this? Well, here's a brief snapshot. Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom in Israel. So remember, they split, and Amos is actually in the northern part. A fun fact is Amos is prophesying around the same time that another guy by the name of Isaiah is prophesying. If you remember in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So they're prophesying during the same time. The second thing is this. He wrote in about 760 B.C. And what I love about Amos is that he is an uneducated, common shepherd. It says there in the first verse, right there, um, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa. In chapter 7, it even says that he um, gathered and farmed the sycamore trees as well. So here's something that you need to know. Anytime the the Bible tells us about the profession of someone, it's an ancient way of sort of giving you a snapshot about this individual. And shepherds were just a very basic job. There was no education that was needed. What we can infer, because Amos was a shepherd, is that he took over his father's business, probably, which tells us that he did not go to rabbinic school. 
he was not a rabbi, and that he was passed over in the town because around the age of 12, the boys would gather with the local rabbi and the rabbi would spend time with them and say, I need these three boys to now live the next number of years with me because then they're going to go to rabbinic school and get trained in the word of God, all of that. Amos was passed over in that. But then here comes God. God choosing an ordinary man to accomplish his extraordinary plans. And listen, can I just pause? I don't really have a Father's Day sermon sort of locked and loaded, but men, please listen to me. Oftentimes, men struggle with this. Am I making a difference with my life? I want to do something great. I want to make an impact, but I'm just doing this job, and it's the day in. Please listen to me, men. The most extraordinary thing, please listen, the most extraordinary thing that you can do with your life is to be faithful to that woman and to be faithful to those children and to be faithful to that job, and to be faithful to this church, and to live your life in a way that glorifies God. You know why? Because no one's doing that. Everybody else is bailing on those responsibilities. So let me encourage you. If you feel like you're ordinary or it's just mundane, Amos is a book for you. God does the extraordinary just through the ordinary. And because Amos is sort of uneducated, if you will, um, his Hebrew that's written down is really brash. It's not like Isaiah or Jeremiah, and it's this lofty sort of language. Amos is a straight shooter. This guy is blunt, and he tells it like it is. If you don't believe me, listen to one section that Amos prophesies to the women of Israel. Okay, he's speaking to the women. Now, full disclosure, just reading the Bible. Okay, just reading the Bible. All right, here we go. Hear this word, you cows of Basan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, and to say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Right, okay. Amos just called these women cows because he said that they were like desperate housewives drinking mimosas by the pool while people literally starved to death around them. I mean, listen, Amos is the guy that you do not ask, is this outfit good? Does it, right? Because Amos is going to tell you. But in that bluntness, we really get to the heart of God. His name is very interesting. Amos's name means burden bearer. That's what Amos's name. Well, all we know he's a shepherd. He tends sycamore trees. He was passed over, ordinary guy. But can you imagine the naming of your kid? Like, like literally in the Greek, um, the main verb is in burden. So like, um, hey, honey, um, our, our son's getting ready to be born. What should we name it? Uh, just naming burden, right? <laughs> what did your parents name you? Just burden. I oh, was a burden, right? Burden bearer. It's very interesting. And then the message of Amos is this. It is one of justice and judgment to Israel and the surrounding nations. 
it's really interesting. In the first two to three chapters, Amos prophesies judgment to the surrounding countries, six of them, Damascus, Samaria, all of them. And what we can infer in the text is that Israel was loving it. They were like, that's right, Amos. You better get Damascus. Oops, Samaria, God's coming. And Israel was like, amen. And he was just, I mean, just fire and judgment. And then chapter 5, he turns to Israel and says, oh, Israel, God has judgment for you too. You're prospering, you're eating well, but you were extorting poor people. You were doing all of these things. And the moment that Amos judges Israel, Israel literally tries to kill him, right? And when I read that, I just thought, man, that's, that's my life, that's your life. We are all for truth-telling, we are all for truth-telling as long as we are not at the end of the barrel of truth. We are all for that. And, and when we think about a prophet, we need to be careful. Because Amos' book is one about justice and judgment. Hey, do you remember Dr. Martin Luther King's famous speech, I Have a Dream? About midway through the speech... He says, let justice roll like the rivers from the mountaintops. That comes from the book of Amos. Dr. Martin Luther King quotes the book of Amos. I mean, it is a prophetic book. But I think when we think about a prophet prophesying judgment, I think that this is what we really sort of probably think of, right? It's this sort of street judgment mentality that literally comes across almost superior. And unfortunately, there's many of us in the room today who even think that that is Christianity. And please let me tell you, that is not Christianity. When a prophet prophesies the judgment and justice of God, it is not detached, unpersonable, through a bullhorn, top down. God just revealed this to me this week as I was studying the book. Um, I have one point today. I've got one point, which does not mean the sermon's going to be shorter, okay? I'm just going to tell you that. I could not this week get past Amos's name. Again, Amos, for the two of you who care, that's what it looks like in Hebrew, burden bearer, that when we look at these pages, we do not see a man who has a hard heart, who's just judging people and pointing at them and has a bullhorn and is saying, well, you need to get your life together because you keep sleeping with your girlfriend and, you know, I got my grandkids coming over this afternoon. Let me tell you something. I'm going to set the record straight and I'm going to blast them. And then right after I blast them, I always say, well, why don't you call anymore? And why don't you ever cut right? That is not the heart of a prophet. Please listen, this is the whole message. The heart of a prophet is a heart that has a burden. Um, I looked up the Oxford English uh, Dictionary definition of the word burden, and I was struck. It says this, 
The word burden, a duty or responsibility that expresses heaviness. And then here it is, a sorrow. Oh, man, do you see it? You just got to find the thread, and you keep chasing it, and you, a sorrow, a burden, a sorrow. Well, how about this working definition? Let this be our definition for a burden. A burden is the heaviness of heart over the brokenness of sin. Ah, that is a burden. So now we do not see an impersonal, hard-hearted prophet just prophesying judgment upon Israel. We see a man who has a broken heart, who weeps at the devastation that sin has caused to God's people. Remember last week what we learned through the book of Hosea? That sin is not just the breaking of God's law. Remember that? We said this, that the book of Hosea teaches us that sin is the breaking of God's heart. That completely changes the picture. That now God desires a deeply personal relationship. So here it is. Here's the big idea. You'll have a lot of room on your paper today. But it's this. This is what the book of Amos teaches us that I believe. The book of Amos teaches us that believers are burdened over what is broken. Believers are burdened over what is broken. That whenever we survey the brokenness in the world... That whenever we see a mass shooting or another devastation, that a believer doesn't first get on Facebook and talk about gun control laws and here's what we need and the problem is what a believer does is they fall to their knees with a broken heart and tears in their eyes and they simply weep. When will be the day that we mature as Christians and our first response is not to post an opinion on social media, but rather fall to our knees and cry out to God, Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. A prophet is not one who has opinions. A prophet is one who has a brokenness. And Amos challenges us in this. He says, Israel, this is not your first reaction to the devastation of sin around you. And then, in Amos chapter 5, God turns up the volume And he talks about their church services. In Amos 5, God says these words about his point of view when Israel gathers for church. I hate and I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. 
Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. God said that. And do you know why God said that? Israel is so far removed and so hard-hearted to the devastation that is around them that they would literally walk through the streets and step over orphans and widows and people that were starving to death and do nothing about it on their way to church. And God said, what are you doing? What are you doing? The whole reason why you come and you gather is to draw close to my heart and to understand what is on my mind and then to then leave that place of worship and to go live out what I have told you to live out. There's one spot even in the New Testament where Jesus says, if you gather for worship and you're getting ready to come forward for communion, but you see somebody in church that you know that you have an argument or conflict with, I want you to not take communion, he says sacrifice, not take communion and step outside of church with them and work it out and pray together. That would be the most beautiful act of worship that I've ever seen. And ever since I've read that, do you know what I've thought? I am waiting for the day. I am waiting for the day that one of you don't show up on a Sunday, maybe two Sundays, and I call to check in and say, hey, how's it going? And you say, hey, I'm so sorry that I haven't made it to church over the past couple of weeks. Because I called my dad. And you see, we haven't had the best relationship. He lives out of state. And I've been so convicted that on my weekends off, I've just driven to talk to him and try to work some of this out. I'm going to go, yes, yes, good. Because you had the most spiritual act of worship. You had something that was pleasing in the sight of God. This is not our first reaction to have a burden and to be a burden bearer and to be broken over it. Um, we are not oftentimes burden bearers. I believe that some of us are actually more like burden builders, if you will. And I just thought this week, what are some of our reactions when we see the brokenness and devastation of sin around us. Um, well, how about this? How about the shrugger, right? The shrugger. Eh, who cares? is isn't my problem. Meh, meh. Turn to your neighbor and just say, meh, meh. Hey, did you see that um, there was another... Man, did you know that the poverty line has now dropped to... Gosh, did you see the devastation that, meh, meh, not my, I got enough problems of my own, meh, the shrugger. Or um, how about this, the blamer. Ooh, this is real popular, the blamer. Ha, 
Yep, I saw that. I saw that. What was her last name again? <laughs> well, that ain't surprising. Let me tell you, because you know what their problem is, is, you know, I was waiting in line at Walmart. Then they had to call the checker over, and it was just a bunch of wick stuff. And then, and I realized, <laughs> you know what their problem is, is I was really actually paying for their groceries, you know? You know, it's really hard to look down on someone who lives off of government welfare when you understand that you live off of the welfare of God. But we might not be ready for that. It's not even noon yet, you know. I mean, I mean, that's, it's, it's the blamer. And do you know what that does? It keeps us safe. It keeps us so safe to be able to just point out and be impersonal, then those are not people, they are problems. Um, or how about this one? The talker. The talker. Um, this is great. Well, yeah, you know, here's the deal, man. At work, here's the deal. If I was in charge, okay, here's what I would do. Okay, you know, this is Uncle Rico, okay, right? If coach would have just put me in, man, we'd be state champs, right? We would have done it. And if my life, and here's the deal, if I ever get one day, man, one day, one day, and you wake up and you're 85 years old, you're still saying, one day, one day, the talker. How about this? The planner, the planner, right? Well, here's the thing. We really need to meet about this. Okay, somebody form a committee. You call the three people. Is a motion carried? Motion carried? Carried motion. Second motion? Second motion seconded. And then what we need to do is, I mean, when I look at the way, whether it be government, it doesn't matter what it is, the amount of meetings and the amount of, you know, they call it paralysis by analysis. Well, let's do a study. And, you know, Jason, I was thinking, what does the word poor really mean in Greek? So, you know, I, I studied, and there's variations of this, and there's, there's a great danger currently in seminaries, Bible schools, in theological academia. And it is to lock yourself away in an ivory tower and to think and to muse about the great depths of God. Because one of the things that Karl Barth said in Dogmatics about the Immaculate Conception and the Hypostatic Union is that the immutability characteristics of God are found. <clears throat> That's great. I think it's important. I read those guys. Love their footnotes. The purpose of the study of God is to love our neighbor as ourself. Um, so it's not just the planner, but how about the doer? How about just, what, there's a problem? Hut, 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 hut. And then they do, we got to get a sign up. We, we got to serve. We got to hurry up, do the thing. We don't need to plan about that. We do. And here's what the doer does, is the doer runs around to every single fire. And it's, oh, it's this thing this week. And it's cause-oriented. We see this all the time on social media. You have those friends. They're always, it's a GoFundMe account. And now we got to, and they blast everybody because their cause is the cause. And we got to do, and we got to do, and the reality is, is that you're burnt out, you're exhausted, and you've done a lot of things, but you haven't done one thing really well.
So when we look at this list, and we could continue, and we could add a number of it to it, which one do you find yourself oftentimes leaning to? Because the book of Amos teaches us that believers are burdened over the brokenness of sin. And, and Jesus actually has really, really strong words to the religious elite who only built burdens for people. If you re Listen, if you are new to Christianity, you're sort of peeking over the fence at this, you need to understand something. Something has changed in the message of the church of Jesus Christ that the church forgot that Jesus' strongest words and the harshest words that Jesus spoke was to the religious, moral, conservative party. It was to the Pharisees, it was to the Sadducees, it was to those people who stepped back and saw people as problems. And he says these words, Jesus replied, you experts in the law, woe to you. That is like a curse. It is a big deal. Woe to you because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry. And you yourself won't even lift a finger. Whew. On it. We are on it today. I'll never forget um, when my dad was converted to Christianity and accepted Jesus. Um, my dad looked like a lost member of the Beatles. I mean, he had the big, like, you know the album cover of George Harrison's All Things Must Pass, the two discs? That's what my dad looked like, just hair down to his shoulders, big beard. My dad was working at a factory there in Kennett, uh, and during his break would go up in the rafters to smoke the wacky tobacco, if you will, um, was an alcohol, all of those things. My mom constantly prayed for my dad, and on a Sunday evening when an evangelist was in town, he challenged the people to come forward and to pray for the lost loved ones in their life. My mom walked the aisle, went down, and prayed for my dad. And as my dad was at home that Sunday evening with a friend, getting ready to start his 12-hour shift there at the factory, they were surfing the channels, and they came across Billy Graham preaching and presenting the gospel. And as they watched... Dad said just conviction fell on the room, you know, and that his buddy was like, sheesh, man, uh, I, I think I'm going to go. So, like, my dad's friend left, and, and my dad said as soon as he left, I got up out of my chair and knelt beside it and prayed that prayer that Billy prayed while my mom was praying for me. It's just an incredible story. And so that following Sunday, my dad was baptized there at the church, and my dad went to work and told all of his co-workers that he got baptized. Now, granted, these men had never really shared the gospel. My, my dad didn't know if they were Christian, anything like that. My dad said, hey, guys, I got baptized this last Sunday. It's incredible. Um, one of the guys said, huh, oh, yeah? Well, were you baptized in Jesus' name? Who did it? What did he say? Was it a, did he use the KJV Bible? Did he? And then the next thing he knows, there were like three or four guys that got in this argument and they forgot that my dad was even standing there. And they just started arguing with each other. And my dad walked away 
And he walked away and said this. They never cared about me. They never even shared the gospel with me. But when I told them that I gave my life to Christ, they wanted to nitpick about the words that I was used when I was baptized. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what Amos is saying. That probably the majority of us don't need another Bible study. The majority of us need to study and apply what we already know in that sense. And here's a key facet to what Jesus is saying. Jesus did not come to bring burdens. Jesus came to bear them. That's the good news of the gospel. If you think Christianity and a relationship with Jesus is so much more do this, that, and heaviness, that's not Christianity. And that's what Amos is saying as well. So listen, we have a prophet who looks at Israel and he weeps and he says, Israel, why aren't you broken? over all of this devastation. And then about 1,500, or I'm sorry, about 1,000 years later, another prophet walks in Jerusalem, and he goes up on top of a mountain the week that he is to die. And he looks over Jerusalem, and he says these words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. Listen, please hear me. When Jesus looks at the brokenness in our life, and our willing acts of rebellion, he does not look through the eyes of judgment. He looks through tear-filled eyes and has a heavy burden for us. And he beckons us to come home. The book of Amos teaches us that believers are burdened over what is broken. So as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, listen, two questions, that's it. Two questions. The first one is this. Um, what breaks your heart? Now, I'm not talking about sentimentality. I'm not talking about those animal shelter commercial in a dark, cold hotel, right? And you're like, the whole purpose is just to cry, like all of that. I am talking about something that devastates you to your core. What is your heart broken over? And then here's the second question. What are you going to do about it? Why did you come today? That's what Amos is asking. Listen, this book, the prophet confronts us today. But he confronts us with tear-filled eyes. If, if you say, you know, Pastor, I just, I don't know what, what breaks my heart. I don't know really. Here's something I challenge you. I challenge you for seven days, for seven days to pray this prayer every day. Maybe once a day, twice a day, doesn't matter. But to say these words, Heavenly Father, 
break my heart for what breaks yours. Pray it for seven days. And all of a sudden, there will be a heaviness of heart over the brokenness of sin. I believe that this is actually how we find our calling. That whatever is broken in the world and whatever you are passionate about, when those two things converge, there you find your purpose. And how about this? I looked up and gathered just some statistics for us to look around. This isn't Africa. This isn't China. This isn't North Korea. This is Butler County, and these statistics were given to me by Ofra. They're a little bit outdated because of how many years the census takes place. Popper Bluff Regional Medical Center reports treating one drug overdose on average per day in the ER. The Butler County Coroner reports two to three suicides a month on average. The age of the first time using the following, nicotine or cigarettes, seven, alcohol, 10, marijuana, 12, prescription drugs, 10, meth or cocaine, 13. As of right now, there are 300 orphans in Popper Bluff. As of 2015, on average, 80 homeless are in Popper Bluff. Butler County is 21.3% below the poverty line. Almost a quarter of Butler County is below the poverty line. The child abuse assessment per 1,000 are 60 and a half kids per 1,000 compared to the state average of 44%. 44 out of 1,000, but Butler County is at 60 out of 1,000. Look around. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Believers don't have opinions. We have burdens, and then those burdens compel us to action. And in that action, we take risks, and we're dependent upon the Spirit. But, oh God, protect us from driving to church and passing the brokenness and not even seeing it. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today. God, we come before you today, and to be honest, it's almost like being shell-shocked. I mean, last week, Hosea, and then this week, Amos. What we understand is we understand that we are treading in the deep water of the full counsel of God. And I believe that this word is in season for us. God, protect us from the religious hypocrisy that would have us study and hide behind phrases like, I'll pray about it. Oh God, there's so much that we don't even need to pray about. We just need to simply do. We just need to do. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. And a burden is always birthed in prayer. 
And so, God, I believe in just a few moments, I believe that there will be some who will come forward and pray and be bold enough to say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, forgive me of my opinions. God, I'm the blamer. It's always their problem, and it's always going to be that way, and it's always, oh, God, forgive me of that. Put tears in my eyes and break my heart. God, there are ordinary people in this room, all of us, and you will use these ordinary people in this room to do extraordinary things if we would just step out and accept the burden. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Press in. If we are too comfortable, convict us of our comfort like Amos did Israel. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.